Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off Podcast. In today's episode, I've got Declan with me. Declan, what do you do? Uh, thanks for having me on, Holly. My name is Declan, as you say. I am the Head of Ethical Hacking at the Scottish Business Resilience Centre. Okay, so before we jump into you and your background, what is the Scottish Business Resilience Centre? What does your organisation do? Who do you help? Yeah, so we're, we're an interesting organisation. Uh, Scottish Business Resilience Centre, or, or SBRC as we often abbreviate ourselves to, we're a non-profit organisation and we kind of sit in between uh, Scottish government and the public sector and then the private sector for all sort of SMEs in Scotland. And we serve to help improve uh, resilience across the, the SME sector uh, in terms of cybersecurity, uh, kind of traditional business resilience, uh, helping organisations through COVID and, and so forth. So we do a lot of work around that. As you can imagine, with when it comes to business resilience, cybersecurity is often quite a, quite a high priority for a lot of organisations given a kind of lack of awareness around it. Uh, so that's why we've got quite a strong cybersecurity presence, including uh, myself leading a team of ethical hackers at, at SBRC. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of our, our purpose. We we're, we have a membership organisation, so we have um, organisations across Scotland working with us uh, to achieve their goals. And then we're also partly funded by Scottish Government to deliver some projects that I'm sure we'll be talking about later on in the episode. So what does resilience mean then? I, I come from, like you no doubt, an ethical hacking background. I'm a penetration tester. So resilience to me, I'm immediately thinking like protection from denial of service attacks. But it, it sounds like you mean it a bit more broadly than that. Yeah, so I don't think there's one definition of resilience in SBRC. Uh, but to me, it means uh, being able to continue doing the work you do as an organisation, um, regardless of what's happening around you. Uh, we've, we've got so many great organisations and SMEs across Scotland doing fantastic work. Uh, and our job is to hopefully make sure that they can be prepared to keep doing the amazing work they do, regardless of what life throws at them. So everything from handling COVID to security stuff then? Well, exactly. Yeah. Before COVID, it was kind of just general, uh, you know, making sure they were resilient from cyber attacks, whether that be doing like vulnerability assessments with them on websites and stuff like that in their networks, making sure they've got the kind of basics covered. Um, and then through the pandemic, it's been just making sure they can get through it and being aware of the amount of scams that are going about there, all the new phishing techniques and so forth. Again, the rise of ransomware as well, and as I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but yeah, just making sure that organisations are resilient to all sorts of to stuff like that. So how does um, the SBRC and I guess your team specifically actually work with companies then? If somebody's listening into this and saying, hey, we would like some more resilience, how do you actually <laughs> help them? So there's a, there's a number of things we do. We, we give a lot of advice. The SBRC website itself, uh, that's at sbrcentre.co.uk, that has a bunch of different guides and resources available. Um, so you can kind of ingest that at your own leisure. Uh, we then also do kind of awareness presentations, training, uh, stuff like that. Um, hopefully returning to on-site stuff pretty soon, you know, touch wood, uh, that the, the pandemic is uh, almost over, uh, not quite over just yet, but almost there. Uh, but yeah, we do a lot of stuff on-site throughout the pandemic. We did a lot of teams and virtual stuff, webinars and so forth. Uh, and then we can do kind of more interactive based things. Uh, we have a few projects that are quite interactive, like our exercise in the box project, which we'll probably talk about in a bit. But yeah, we can do kind of like instant response, tabletop style exercises, kind of making sure that staff are 
getting involved and it's not just someone giving a lecture. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that we can do. Go on, you've piqued my interest. What is exercise in a box? It sounds good, but what is it? Yeah, it's very cool, actually. Uh, so Exercise in a Box, it's a, basically a discussion-based tool developed by the National Cybersecurity Centre. And, and it's it's about discussing various cybersecurity topics, whether it be um, a phishing attack that leads to, to ransomware, or whether it's uh, securing your digital supply chain, or um, working from home in a secure environment. Uh, there's, there's various different topics. Um, and, and what we are doing at SBRC is we've partnered with the Scottish government, uh, and they've funded us to deliver exercise in the box to the initial period was uh, 250 organizations and it's since been extended to a further uh, 200 organizations so we're looking at you know 450 odd organizations in total going through this exercise where we basically facilitate for you so we've got a team of myself and a bunch of ethical hackers and we kind of walk you through the scenario get you talking about what kind of protections your organization has in place you know how good is your relationship with your IT provider are you asking them the right questions what are you doing in terms of backups and so forth? So it's a, it's a good way for organizations to be made aware of what's going on. And it's pitched at a level that's not overtly technical. So most people in the organization will know what's going on. There's only been a few, a handful of people that have said it's a bit too technical for them. And that's because the, the previous week they just got their first laptop. So that's the kind of level. Um, but the vast majority of people, I would even stretch to say almost all people can come along to a session and find it really, really beneficial. So you, you say that you help um, SMEs. What is the target market for you? Is that just all SMEs from one person up to however many? Or, or do you target a specific size, a specific vertical, anything like that? We just try and help every organization possible from your sole traders out there all the way up to the kind of larger, larger organizations. Um, you know, we don't really look at size as a, um, an area that we can't help because you're too big or you're too small. We just kind of adjust our offerings to, to what you have and, and we try and, and suit the needs of your organization. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I stumble up against with certainly customers on a smaller scale. It's almost like this misconception that you need to have so many employees, you need to have so much revenue before you need to worry about some of these things. But it's like, hey, backups. It's like if you've got one person or a thousand people, you've probably got data you should look after. Yeah, well, we, we, you know, we would work with an organization, say they're, you know, a handful of staff, you know, they'll, they'll, they might have read online that they need a pen test or something like that. And we'll say to them, look, you probably don't need a pen test. You're not using any bespoke tools or services, anything like that. But we can maybe do a wee scan for you and check so you're all right. Uh, we'll give you awareness training and definitely teach you, you know, are you doing things like backups? Have you got good password practices? You know, so there's advice for everyone out there, regardless of their size. Yeah, I think um, size is one of those things that itself can can be a misconception as well. My, my kind of go-to example of this was um, when Facebook purchased uh, Instagram. Instagram was purchased for a billion dollars. That was the valuation for the company. They had 13 employees. Yeah. Now, prior to me saying that sentence, I said, hey, a company of 13 employees, you would think, oh, they're probably really small, probably really localized. But they don't have to be, right? Because everybody has access to technology and you know international markets and that kind of thing. So your use of technology, the scale of the organization isn't necessarily tied to employees, I think. Well, it's actually something that SBRC kind of has has experienced itself in the past is sometimes people think we are, you know, 50 odd staff strong, but we're, you know, not even half that. So we can do a lot with the, the size of staff. It's just about what you what your personal um, organizational goals are and, and, you know, working towards them. You, can, you don't need to be limited by the number of staff you have. 
Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about yourself then. Um, you introduce yourself as an ethical hacker. Now, I mm. always say on this podcast, I use the term penetration tester, not ethical hacker. So I'm curious as to why you identify with that title and how you think the market works between things like penetration testing that you mentioned, but also vulnerability analysis and that kind of thing. Sure. So yeah, I, I always say I'm an ethical hacker. I think, I suppose the, the the big difference between saying you're an ethical hacker and you're a penetration tester is I don't see myself as, you know, exclusively doing like penetration testing. An ethical hacker, I, I would say, means that I, I've gone through a, a degree in ethical hacking. So I've, I've had the, the training and the know the skills for doing things like penetration tests or, you know, general hacking techniques and, and so forth. But I don't necessarily do a lot of penetration testing myself. Um, I'm, I'm more going out and talking about things like penetration testing or uh, hacking techniques and, and so forth to make organizations aware of it, just to, to show them that, you know, there's the various different aspects because there's the, you know, there's the, the social engineering side of things. Yep. There's generic vulnerability assessments as well, things like that, vulnerability scanning. So there's a, a huge different kind of variety of topics that kind of come under the ethical hacking, almost like umbrella term. So I think it works best. Yeah, it's like broadening it out. Uh, and also it's quite it's quite cool. It's quite cool for organizations. You know, when I say um, I'm head of ethical hacking and they're not that familiar with uh, cybersecurity, they're like, oh, that's a cool title. I get told that a lot. So <laughs> it's quite interesting for, for you and me. You know, it's pretty boring. It's an average term. But yeah. for a lot of organizations out there, it's... It's, it piques their interest and they'll remember it. And if they get a presentation from an ethical hacker, it's one that sticks in their head. Yeah, it's funny. And, and also the industry has changed uh, over recent years as well. So you mentioned having a degree in ethical hacking, whereas my master's is information security. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some people might have joined the industry before ethical hacking was a yeah. title you could have for a degree. But it's interesting to hear you it, it sounds like, correct me if I interpret it wrong, but it sounds like you're using ethical hacking because it's broader than penetration testing. So you're saying that there's there's more things in that field that you can do. Yeah, that's that's what I would say is there's there's way more that we can we can do and and we can offer. Um, saying that we're ethical hackers, and I think as well, it's although it's it's alien to a lot of organisations, it's a term that they can get used to quicker because they know what a hacker is so you know and they know what ethical means so you can kind of put the two together and go like okay i can kind of join the dots there some organizations i've worked with you were you know you would say penetration testing they would probably think that's something the police do they wouldn't really put it in line with your your kind of digital infrastructure they'd think it would be are you trying to break into a building yeah i see you talking to to other people in the pen testing space a lot of people might adjust depending on who the audience is so if i'm talking to Mm. somebody in the industry i'd refer to myself as a pen tester for me if i'm talking to say the media or the public I would then use ethical hacker because of exactly yeah. what you say. They, they get it. You know, I don't have to explain the title. They just they just mm-hmm. get what that is. Whereas I see other pen testers would maybe go to security consultant. Yeah. The reason that I don't go that way is uh, my focus is uh, entirely offensive, right? It's, it's breaking into things. So that that's why I don't go security consultant because my bias, my presumption there would people would think that that's um, defensive. So I'm curious from from your background and the work that you do, how much of your work do you feel is offensive? So breaking in, um, scanning, pen testing, exploiting versus how much is just purely helping people build better systems and, and be defensively focused? It's probably a fairly even split, potentially a wee bit heavier on the defensive side, because obviously resilience is more kind of, we, we use the term prevent and protect in SBRC. And that's kind of what we would describe as a lot of the work we do is it's preventative and you know we're trying to protect organizations so it's a lot of 
kind of advice building up defences and, and so forth. Obviously, we do have the offensive side where in order to build up the defence, you need to be offensive. So looking at penetration testing and vulnerability assessments, um, web app testing, things like that. So we do uh, we do that work as well. But I think a lot of organisations are interested in the advice side of things on what they can do, um, especially given that there are really good free resources out there, like from the National Cyber Security Centre. And in Scotland, we have the Cyber Scotland Partnership, which is a bunch of different organisations coming together to create cyber security advice and build cyber resilience. So there are a lot of free resources out there. And again, there's things like Exercise the Box and, and so forth that organizations can have access to. They just kind of need to be explained how they get access to it and what they do with it uh, and, you know, what advice applies to them and what doesn't and, you know, what they can what they can explore in terms of cybersecurity. So I would say that's probably the, the bulk of the defensive work that we do. And I think what organizations are most interested in is, is just that kind of advice portion of, of, uh, of what we do. Yeah, I think there's um, a huge... Actually, I'll take a step back. I'll explain something. A statistic that I've been focused on uh, this last week was something that surprised me as looking at official statistics from the UK government. And I read a statistic that 52% of large organizations receive penetration testing, but 13% of all organizations receive penetration testing. Mm. So the interpretation that I make from that data is most large companies do, but on the on the SME side of things, a surprisingly small number of companies yeah. do. So I guess some of your work must be focused around just explaining what this stuff is. If there's such a huge proportion of companies who aren't actively doing things like penetration testing, then it, it, I get the impression that you must be at some point starting with them and saying, hey, this is what vulnerability scanning is. This is what pen testing is. This is what your maturity journey might look like and why you might start at one and then build up. Is, is that the kind of thing that you mean by advice? Yeah, so a lot of the time it is just kind of uh, explaining what all of these terms mean. Um, because uh, like I kind of said earlier that there is times where an organization that will have, you know, they'll use no bespoke tools, they'll be using one website that's got like one um, comment section, there's no other like login or anything like that, very minimal uh, infrastructure or anything like that, and they say they want a pen test. And usually you need to sit them down and say, well, here's what a pen test would look like for your organization. It probably wouldn't be that worthwhile to you versus something like a, a web app scan or a, a vulnerability assessment. So it's it's a lot a lot of time it's explaining the difference between a lot of these kind of terms and explaining the, the risks and the benefits of each and, and you know what they can do for the organization. So that's yeah, that's a big part of it. And that statistic to me probably makes it actually makes sense, yeah. Because I would imagine that it's you know the larger your organization gets, that's when you need to start thinking about you know pen testing and making sure systems are secured and uh, and so forth. Whereas when you're kind of at your early stages, you can get away without doing a full scale pen test. You can do the the vulnerability assessment side of things and and get things locked down. Yeah, I think that might be one of the differences between your experiences working as an ethical hacker and, and mine. Um, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you some of my bias. I could go for a long time and think everybody gets pen tests, right? Because I work with hundreds of companies and all of the companies that I will work with all get pen tests. But of course, that's a biased data set, right? It's like working as a pen tester with yeah. companies engaging in pen testing. But it sounds like you coming from uh, the, the more broader background and maybe working with companies through through that journey or a much earlier stage. It, it's um it's not for me necessarily, like I said, tied to um, age of the company or scale or anything like that, because we do work with startups, certainly in things like um, fintech or DeFi, where 
certainly if they've had investment, if they've gone through venture capital and things like that. So there may be a small team on a new product, but they've, they've got money behind them. We, we do do pen testing there. But as you say, in those instances, a lot of bespoke technologies, a lot of interesting deployments, those kinds of things. But I guess some of the companies you work with, maybe they're not even technology focused. And it's just, hey, we have a website because it's a part of our marketing strategy. And we use um, computing systems, maybe that we might think of as like cloud focused, but for them, it might just be like, it's Office 365, right? And it's just it's just a technology provider to them. Um, so how do you how do you engage those very small companies? I guess when I'm, I'm trying to distill this question for you, um, how do you engage companies where nobody has the word security in their job title? It's very interesting. Um, I think nowadays, especially given that a lot of stuff is cloud-based, we deal a lot of the time with IT service providers. And in a lot of instances, actually, a company will ask us to do some work with them. We spend more time speaking to their IT service provider than we do actually the, the company themselves. So that's a, a big thing we have to do. Fortunately, I've not come across any IT service providers in Scotland that have completely abandoned the concept of cybersecurity. You know, they're quite they're aware of it and a lot of them are quite clued on as well and, and they, they understand its importance. Uh, they might even have some kind of security teams themselves or they might be working with either us or a different organization for their cybersecurity as well. So that helps a lot. Uh, another thing as well in organizations is that because of the, again it goes back to like the ethical hacking job title, whilst no one has security in their title or anything like that, they recognize that that's that's quite important, or they, they'll acknowledge that cybersecurity is something they need to, to deal with, probably acknowledging that by interacting with SBRC in the first place. Uh, but they see the ethical hacking job title, and they, they listen, they pay attention. If you if I'm telling people, you know, you need to have a decent password or not to reuse passwords or even something like enable two-factor authentication, they tend to listen, they tend to be like, okay, he's an ethical hacker, he, he must know what he's talking about. So that's kind of, it makes it a bit easier there. Uh, of course, you're going to get the organizations that don't really take it that seriously fortunately i've not really dealt with i don't even think i've dealt with any of them I've, i know all the organizations that don't take it that seriously but we, we still do everything we can to, to help them out we try and even just showing them the kind of the scale of the problem of, of not taking cybersecurity seriously looking at what what's happened over the pandemic looking at what can happen if a hacker gets access to your systems trying to explain it in terms of risk and business risk and reputational damage and so forth. Those are the words that start to make you understand. Um, so even shifting away from cybersecurity and, and making it more about risk, they tend to then start understanding the picture. Yeah, I definitely get um, customers who maybe have a, a presumption that they're not an interesting target to attackers. They might be like, hey, we make envelopes. Why would anyone hack us? And I love hearing that question because it's something that you can you can grab onto and talk about as an ethical hacker. It's like, hey, let's talk about hacker motivations. Let's talk about the mm -hmm. fact that, you know, it's such a range from financially motivated to politically motivated. So it sounds like you do something um, similar there. We've talked a little bit about the SBRC themselves and the work that you do, but can we talk a little bit more about uh, your background? I guess what I'm building up to here is if people are listening to this podcast episode and they say, hey, head of ethical hacking, that sounds cool as hell. How do I get that job title? Can we can we take down that, that journey? How did you get started? Yeah, so in, in school, I was very keen to get involved in everything computer-related, massive geek, as, as a lot of us are in this uh, industry. And I was doing things like computing at school and, you know, getting really involved with it all uh, and was pretty certain when it came time to, to look for uh, what to do after school that I wanted to go 
into some form of computing industry, whether it be software programming or, you know, cybersecurity, AI, any of the kind of big things. So I had a look and I thought cybersecurity was probably the best bet for me to end up in. It seemed like I had a good mix of kind of all different areas because cybersecurity is quite broad. And so there's a lot you can go and run with it and do. And then I had a look around at universities colleges and stuff and what was out there uh, and Aberty comes up Aberty for for those that don't know is the the world's first university to have a degree with the word hacking in it the ethical hacking degree uh, and after doing a bit of research speaking to teachers and my, my mom and dad and decided yeah Aberty is where I want to end up so I applied there got in would you say that your um, journey up until that point then was fairly typical like school college university quite I guess academically focused yeah, so you know, you hear a lot in this cybersecurity industry of your your you know journey to where you are now. Mine is very like standard of just school to university to to employment. That's important though because I think one one of the things is sometimes the the message can get a little bit blurred where if we only focus on people who have non-typical journeys into these roles, people think that you need to have a non-typical journey and it's like, hey, you should drop out of school at 15 and that's the way to become a hacker. But it sounds like, no, for you, the academic route, route worked. Um, my, mine's a little bit different. I um I didn't go to college and then university. Um, I, I left school and then, and then joined the military. So the reason that I point that out is like, Hey, you can you can do both, right? It's like it, there's there's many different paths into this. So so take us through um a little bit about your your degree. So having a degree with hacking in the title is pretty cool. Um, what did you do on the degree, and then where did you go from there? Yeah, so the degree uh, it starts off as quite generic in terms of computing science, which the benefit there is there is the option. Uh, Aberty is also well known for games development. If you want to jump over, you can, or if you decide, you know what, cybersecurity isn't for me. I'm really into programming. They also offer the the computing science courses as well. Uh, so it starts off generic. I think you've got six modules in the whole year, and then five of them are kind of general, and one is cybersecurity focused. You go up into your second year, and then I think two are cybersecurity focused. And then you keep going up and as you progress, you get, you know, less generalized and more specialized. Your third year is very cybersecurity focused. And then your fourth year is pretty much all, you know, whatever you want to do based on your kind of honors project and so forth. So it kind of gets that that specialization there. Although it is an ethical hacking degree, uh, it's it's also got more aspects than just the offensive penetration testing side. So there's obviously the, the ethical hacking modules, which are heavily offensive focused as you would imagine um so network penetration testing web application testing malware uh, analysis and um exploit development so that that kind of level there but then there's also things like digital forensics for um the, the traditional um you know hardware digital forensics you've got network digital forensics we look at kind of low level uh, operating systems kind of hardware so the the course is quite gives you a good overall kind of picture of cybersecurity. Yeah, I think um, that's one of the things that's that's great about the, the different paths that people have into cybersecurity is that everybody brings different skills to the team, right? So um, I know when people are looking at getting into cybersecurity, one of the questions that very often comes up is, you know, do you, do you have to program? And, and I always try and answer, answer softly. It's like, no, you don't have to be able to program, but it, it, it will help yeah. you in the role that I have. I spend almost more time coding than I do actually actually hacking because a lot of what I focus on is machine learning for offensive security and then also um, automation for offensive security. I basically say that I never want to do the same thing twice, right? It's like, hey, I did this thing, let's automate it. So in the work that I'm doing, then then yeah, programming is a huge part of that. But um, it sounds like, and I'm, I'm presuming based on the conversation so far, that 
um, maybe programming in, in your current role is um, less of a thing and maybe not important at all. Yeah, so as I kind of went through university, I find myself getting almost less technical. I, enjoy, I still enjoyed the technical portions immensely. And I loved programming at uni. And it's probably something that uh, I should get back into because uh, I don't do too much of it now. But yeah, my uh, given the, the nature of the work I do and kind of overseeing a lot of stuff, I'm not as hands-on as I was at uni, but I still think it's it's great. And I think I, it kind of shows when you're working in cybersecurity, the, the range of options that are available, you can be super technical and, you know, you know, be people way smarter than myself than they spend uh, all their time programming and, and so forth. Or you can be speaking to people all the time and, and giving advice and so forth. And you can have a happy medium as well. So there's, there's so many different things you can end up doing. Yeah, I know a lot of people break it down as well into like um, technical or non-technical, but it's like, hey, technical can be a huge different number of things, right? You know, like you, you mentioned some of the things as you're talking through your degree, like deep understanding of networking and communication systems versus programming. You know, mm-hmm. those those are, are different are different skill areas. Um, and of course, like every time you, you go into a different area, like we were talking about pen testing and you were saying, you know, network pen testing versus web application yeah. pen testing. And again, they're, they're um, very different areas. And we see that reflected in other certifications as well so for example i'm a i'm crest certified application tester that's that's my yeah. focus is, is web applications but then you'll get somebody who's done the ice exam and maybe they're infrastructure focused or, or um, maybe they're check focused or something like that um yes yeah, so it's it's great to hear just another view into the industry but i guess now that you're in industry what is your day-to-day like we've spoken um generally about what the sbrc does but but how does your day-to-day look well, a, a good part about working at SBRC is one week can be entirely different from the next in terms of what you do. A lot of the day-to-day would be speaking to all of our kind of members and clients, just making sure they're all right, uh, answering any questions they've got. Sometimes it will be, we'll be working with them to do like vulnerability assessments or web app testing and, and stuff like that. So making sure that's running ahead. Uh, I'm usually the, the person that deals with the kind of upfront leading up to that. So getting all the scoping done and answering all their questions beforehand, making sure they're all right with it, speaking to all parties involved, then bring it all together. And then when, when the test is, is going on by members of my team, I kind of make sure they're doing all right. You know, if they want a second opinion on anything, you know, doing all that. And then I'll be involved in the, the kind of debriefing process and so forth. So I do a lot of that. Also do a lot of the kind of upfront sales calls with our kind of sales and membership team um, on just like showing people what the SBRC services and what they offer. It's also kind of interesting because we're a non, non-for-profit organization. So, you know, we're not trying to make a huge um, huge income. Uh, we're trying to keep the lights on. So it's, just, it's like sales, but from a different kind of perspective. And and yeah, a lot a lot of it is that. We also do kind of the advice and guidance stuff. So if I'm on any webinars or anything like that. Uh, and then exercise in the box as well. That takes up quite a lot of uh, time. So I, I for the initial kind of phase of the project, I was a lead facilitator on that. We're now handing that over to somebody else. So I'm kind of taking more of a making sure things are going smoothly kind of role uh, in that. Um, but making sure it's all right, developing new ideas and so forth. But I could do that one week and then the next week could be entirely different. And I'm hoping as well that once, again, the pandemic is behind us, uh, I'll be able to go out and about a lot more, you know, see people in, uh, in person, do a lot of presentations in person uh, and just have uh, conversations about cybersecurity. Sounds great. Um, so for, for people who are listening in on, on the organizational side of things, if any of the things that you've mentioned so far, be it vulnerability assessments or exercise in a box, if those have grabbed their attention, they want to find out more, how would a company engage with yourselves? 
So the best bet is probably just to visit our website, uh, sbrcentre.co.uk. Uh, you can find our kind of phone numbers and stuff you want to contact there or emails. Uh, you can get information on everything we do, everything we have to offer. We have you know loads going on. We're hoping as well that we'll be getting to do events soon so you can see what's going on there. Uh, links to our event bright pages as well for all the exercise and box sessions and anything else we've got going on. Um, but we're constantly putting stuff out there. So definitely check us out there. And we're also on Twitter and LinkedIn and things like that. You mentioned webinars. Are those kind of public access things that people can just jump onto? How, how do the webinars work? Yeah, so uh, we started doing webinars as I think most people did at the start of the pandemic. Um, and we did, SBRC's expertise is in bringing people together. Uh, that's our strongest point. If we were to have a single strongest point, it is bringing people together to, to talk about things. So that's what we did at the start of the pandemic. We just brought experts from every aspect of not just cybersecurity and, and that industry, but just about every industry, whether it be finance or kind of HR or anything like that, legal, to start spreading the message on what organisations should be doing. Because if you remember back to March 2020, nobody knew what was going on. You know, the government were putting out new advice daily on lockdown and how we get through it and so forth. So we just tried our best to bring people together to give advice to businesses across Scotland. And they were hosted on the Zoom platform, as a lot of, a lot of things were back then. And yeah, they were just free to join. You just click the link to, to register. Uh, and yeah, we had huge amounts of people joining our webinars back then. So it was really good. And I think we helped a lot of people as well. That sounds great. So that is all of the questions that I had. Do you think there's anything we've missed? Uh, there's one service I think the SBRC offer that I think is worth spreading the message of. And that's our instant response uh, helpline. Uh, so this, you'll, you'll see the number and uh, information on that on our website. But basically, this is a, a funded position or a funded project by Scottish government uh, and basically you can phone this number if you fall victim to a cyber incident big or small it's like a triaging service so we help you identify what's happened give you the relevant advice tell you to you know if, if you've been a victim of a crime phone police scotland if you've had a data breach you need to phone the, the ico uh, various things like that and then if there's like a serious issue like you've been hit with ransomware or something like that we'll get you in contact with the cybersecurity industry in Scotland and uh, we have a kind of cadre of instant response companies who can help do your kind of your proper forensics and, and stuff to help you get back up on your feet but it's a great kind of first line of, of action to to do when you've got a a cyber incident and again big or small so even if it's something like you get a phishing email and and you've clicked the link and you're not sure what to do you've not done anything but you've just clicked it you can give us a phone we'll tell you what to do make sure you're all right and let you get back to, to doing what you do best that sounds like a really good service and in my experience um a lot of companies certainly as they as they get bigger have what they think is everything in place you know they'll have an instant response plan they'll have a business continuity plan those kinds of things they maybe have some player books or a triage process but it's a little bit different between like planning out what's going to happen on your desk in, in a yeah. nice comfortable environment and like the level of duress that you'll face being told that, that you've had a breach and i think um some of the companies that i've worked with on the incident response side of things they just want somebody to kind of check their working it's like yeah. this is what's happened and this is what we're planning on doing is there anything that we've missed is that the kind of way that you can help companies that's exactly it yeah it's a lot of the time people phone the instant response line and they all they're looking for is an arm around their shoulder just to basically get them through it so yeah every when i say big or small it can literally just be like tell us what you've done that sounds fine you should be all right you know best of luck that it could be that or it could be tell us what to do so and everything in between great Declan thanks so much for being on the show yeah thanks for having me Holly it was really good fun 
Thank you.